We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What a game. I am still pumped up. I don't know if it's the two monster Westbrook jams or the huge Thunder win in a game that they really needed to win that was very important for their schedule, but I am still amped, and it's like 11.10 here, p.m. uh, Central Time in Oklahoma. What a game. That was a lot of fun. I think my pups are still excited because it's taken me forever to get them to, to unwind, um, but they're actually both in here with me, so uh, they're, they both have settled down a little bit, but I'm hoping for no disruptions from them. And then I also have a wife who's a nurse and is trying to sleep right now, so um, I'm trying to use a quiet inside voice while also trying to portray my excitement, and, and it's a little bit tough But um, because that was, just, that was a fun one. Um, like I said, Thunder looked, argue, honestly, they arguably looked like the best that they have all season on both ends of, of the floor. Um, just playing stellar defense and also clicking on all c- cylinders on the offensive end. They end up beating the Trailblazers 123 to 114. That allowed them to stay at third in the West and move a full game ahead of the Blazers now, which I know isn't much, but you know what? We'll take it, especially in the Western Conference. And they also moved a 4-4 four and four in their division, which is actually really big. They, they struggled early on, as, as that record shows, and they're finally back up to 500. So hopefully we continue to beat those teams in our division. The only boring uh, little pregame nugget that I have right here is Abrina's again, identical to yesterday's game. He dressed out, he was active, but Billy said he wouldn't be in the rotation, and he wasn't. Uh, I think we're all very optimistic that he is nearing a return, and like I said in yesterday's postgame pod, I would not be surprised if that return is on Thursday's game against New Orleans. Um, he, he seems ready to go, and I think Billy just wanted to get a little more conditioning under him, make sure he was completely ready before they throw him back out there. So that's actually really exciting, and I'll get a little bit into that here at the end of the podcast. But 
I'm just going to start with my main bullet points. And the first one is one of the only cons, really, the entire game. Rebounding. That, combined with Damian Lillard, um, CJ, and Nurkic, I mean, it, those four things were three players and one reasoning, the rebounding, really kept Portland alive and allowed them to go on, like, these streaks and runs. Basically, all the way up until the end of the fourth quarter, it seemed like the Thunder would go on their own runs and were about to put the game behind them and really pull away. Uh, but the rebounding combined with those three players really kept Portland alive. And they, like I said, they went on these streaks that just kind of kept them in it. So that really kept it close up until the end. Um, the Thunder route rebounded 52-37 total, 20-9 to offensively and 32-28 to defensively. So they really struggled with Nurkic <laughs> for whatever reasons. He had he had 15 rebounds, and, and honestly, I didn't do my research here, but I would argue that I think probably the majority of those, or at least over half, were in the first half. I mean, he had a, a ridiculous first half, but I thought that Adams and the team as a whole really came out in the second half and defended him better. Unfortunately, that got CJ and Dame going a little bit more in the second half. Um, but like I said, he always seems to give us trouble, and he, but honestly, he's been playing great this season. He has put up some monster stat lines. So the fact that we were still able to beat beat them and even hold him to what we did I think uh, says a lot about this defense as we'll get into so that's kind of leads me to my next transition here and that is well speaking of transition it's pace and transition I've said from the very beginning of the season and this isn't a hot take or a unique take many people have this take because it's, it's a pretty known fact at this point that the Thunder play the best when they're pushing the ball when they're aggressive on the defensive end which lead to steals and deflections and in return uh, create transition offense and you know that's when they're their most dangerous, and we saw that tonight. They came out with the, from the very beginning with a ton of energy, which is really huge, particularly when you take into consideration their last three games, really. Three games in four days, they had that huge almost overtime. You know, it was the PG buzzer beater against the Sixers, as you guys obviously probably know about. And then they turned around and played yesterday against the Knicks, had that back-to-back, and then for them to come out tonight and play with that intensity on both ends like they did was huge, and that's really what led to this win overall. They tied a season high for steals with 16, and that's compared to the Blazers' seven steals. They had 28 fast break points, and that's off of 20 total turnovers, and they only turned the ball over 11 times on the other end. This really all started with Russ and PG, and you'll kind of see this. I'll probably bring this up throughout the rest of the podcast because it's so true. They really set the tone from the very beginning, and they both locked in defensively, which led to really good offense on the other end. Russell only had one steal, which really surprised me when I looked at that final stat line. But he played solid defense from the very beginning. Like I said, he was locked in. He, he You could tell he was wanting to play solid defense on Dame. I think he really held Dame to a pretty mediocre first half for Dame's terms. And he also, I felt like, had a lot of deflections. I don't have those num- the deflection numbers on me um, because that's kind of an in-depth stat that I'd have to research, and I wanted to try and get this post-game podcast out. But um, him and PG both had a ton of deflections, and which led to obviously steals and transition points. PG led the team with five steals, and then T Ferg. I've talked a lot about T Ferg. I tweet a lot about T Ferg. At one point, the uncontested was named the official fan account of Terrence Ferguson tonight, per me. Um, <laughs> and he added four steals, and there were some other steals sprinkled in there from some other players throughout the game. Thunder also held Portland to 10 of 36 from three, 27.8%, which was huge, particularly when you have players like CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. And like I said, I also, or sorry, and I also thought that they defended the pick and roll better. Like they had the, the past couple games, really since that Lakers and Atlanta games. I thought Eric Horn pointed out a really good fact 
uh, early in the game when he said that the rotations from the backside coming over in the pick and roll were much quicker. Then I also thought the guards, and obviously this is particularly Ferg, they're getting over screens a lot better, or I should say getting through screens because, you know, like I pointed out yesterday in the postgame pod, Ferg's starting to learn from like PG and Dre. You can fake going over screens and then go around them. Or, you know, you can do little things like that to help you get through those screens. And I've seen the guards doing a much better job at that. And PG and Russ as well, I think. So, moving on, the Thunder continue their hot shooting streak. This is kind of like deja vu from my post-game podcast from yesterday. They didn't, they they shot again above 50% from the floor. They shot 43 of 85. That's for 50, that's 50.6%. Um, the three-point line, they weren't quite as hot as yesterday. But, man, we'll take it. 11 of 23. 47.8%. PG was 3 of 6. He was 50% from 3. Jeremy was 2 of 2. That was nice to see. See Jeremy get his 3-point stroke back like I talked a little bit yesterday. Ferg was 2 of 4, but he was 6 of 8 overall. That's something, that's like a new a, a new step that, you know, as Terrence continues to develop, he not only hit his 3-point shots today, you know, he was 50%, but he also was putting the ball on the floor, cutting, getting two-point shots. So he was 6 of 8 overall, which is huge for us, 14 points. Patterson was also 2 of 2 from 3, which really opens up things. When you have shooters like that off the bench, and you know, especially with Abrinas coming back, that's really, really nice to have. And I thought Patterson played a really solid game overall after kind of having a not-so-great game against uh, Sixers. He, But overall, he's, he's been playing really well. And I know there's a lot of stats out there, particularly on Thunder Twitter. <laughs> you guys can go and see those reporters. Patterson's had a really good past month, and it, it's good to see him kind of get going again. So when others are hitting the shots like that, it opens up the floor so much for Russ and Schroeder. And I think we really saw that. Russ and Schroeder were driving more to the basket, particularly Russ. However, I'd like to say that, you know, vice versa can be true as well. With Russ attacking early and being aggressive, he was finding the open shooters. And, you know, them in return, hitting those shots just opened the offense up. And we didn't really look back from there. I really thought Dennis came in today and continued that. He didn't really change the style of play. He tried to mimic what Russ was doing, and, and that really just was huge and allowed Russ to get a little bit of rest. But as I will get into here in a little bit, the uh, lineups were tweaked a little bit. Billy staggered PG and Russ more, and it really worked out for the team today. So, And then uh, just something else here, the Thunder continued to hit their free throws. They were 26-33. They were 78.8% from the free throw line. Russ was 10-12. PG was 13-15. Combined 27 free throws. They shot all but six of the team's free throws so that was awesome to see russ and pg continue to attack the basket and obviously they're they're much more confident in in both of their free throws and drawing fouls which has really been big for us over this three-game win streak so next i have here you know i feel feel bad i don't want to for lack of better terms you know beat a dead horse because you guys have heard us talk about this guy a lot, but Terrence Ferguson has been phenomenal, and it wouldn't be right if I didn't mention him in this post-game podcast. He played really good defense in the first half on CJ, especially in the in the first half. Um, he got around screens really well and held him to only seven points. Now the second half happens, the third quarter. He struggled to get around screens and get a hand in CJ's face, and CJ went off in the third. I think he had like 21 of his 28 um, by the, the end of the third quarter, but Ferg stayed confident and diligent and held him to only three points in the fourth. So this just shows, his, like I said, his confidence and his development. He scored 102 points in the last eight games. Uh, it's something to note, not only is his confidence rising, but his teammates and coaches' confidence in him are rising as well. Billy ran some pick and pop for Ferg and Russ to get uh, Ferg some open looks, which I think is great. I love that. I'd like to see that to continue and to uh, for them to incorporate that a little more because, I, like I said, that just leads to more shooting for him. 
I also thought that he was reading passing lanes really, really well. Um, he was getting deflections and steals. Like I said, he had four steals right behind PG with five. And he made some great passes in transition and driving to the rim. He's not just sitting in the corner anymore looking for shots. He's starting to cut, kind of like Dre got really good at before he got injured this past past season. And he not only is he just going to the rim, but he's looking for open teammates as well. And some of the passes that he had really impressed me. I think this, the I shouldn't say the sky is the limit for him um, because obviously that would be inferring that he's going to be like LeBron James. And he's not, <laughs> but I, I think he's only going to improve. And for a kid who's 20 years old, there's a lot to be excited about. So next, obviously, I have to to touch on MVPG and Vintage Russ. Billy tweaked the lineups, as I mentioned earlier. Well, with his two stars, he, he staggered them. So there was always one playing with the second unit. And Jacob pointed this out early in the first quarter, and I want to give him credit for this because he it was really good that he, he picked up on it and he ended up being correct. Um, Billy did this to take away those Diallo minutes. You know, Diallo's been struggling. I think we all think he, ha- he has an incredible ceiling. He's kind of hit his rookie wall just like Ferg did last season. And by no means should we give up Diallo or just trade him for anything. Like I know some of Thunder Twitter has been saying over the past couple weeks. But obviously those minutes needed to go away, particularly against elite teams and big games like tonight. He can get develop- developmental minutes elsewhere, as you guys have heard us talk about on this podcast even. Um, so instead, Billy staggered PG and Russ. PG subbed out earlier in the quarter, then came in for Russ towards the end of the quarter. Uh, for example, I think Paul George came in with like two minutes left in the first quarter, and that trend kind of continued throughout the game. This gave the second unit more perimeter defense, I felt like. When you have shooters like Dame and CJ out there on the perimeter, I, uh, you really need somebody like Paul George in there almost at all times. It paid off big in the fourth, as Roy Shen pointed out. This is where PG and Dennis extended the OKC lead. Now, Portland would come back with one of their streaks, but then Russ would come back in, and as we saw, that might have been the most exciting stretch of the game was that last stretch where OKC went on a big run and and closed the game out in the fourth quarter, into the fourth quarter. So I I really like that Billy is making these lineup changes, and like I said, and like we've said, Billy really deserves a lot of credit for this season. I feel like he's been coaching a great season overall, and I'm really impressed with some of the things he's, he's incorporating and continuing to incorporate. And so I've already read off the stat lines of PG and Russ. They both were incredible. Russ had his 14th triple-double this season. He is my impact player of the game. And then Paul George had another 30-plus point game, which is phenomenal. But I really want to focus on their intensity and effort. So when Russ and PG come out with that effort on both ends, the team follows. I felt like Russ attacked early and often from the very beginning of the game. He was drawing in the defense, and then he was almost always was making the right read. So rather that was driving to the basket and drawing a foul, rather that was kicking out to the open teammate. Um, he trusted in his teammates, and I, I felt like he really made the, made the right plays the majority of the game. Now, the teammates made the shots in return. That really opened up the floor for Russ and also Schroeder, for that matter, and PG, I guess. But Russ and PG also played off one another perfectly. I mean, like I said, I think they both played great, um, both when it came to deflections and steals as well on the defensive end, and then obviously offensively. They both had monster offensive, off- offensive games. Uh, and then Russ's confidence is rising again. You can just see it. And that's so huge for us. And I think that is reflective of the rest of the team. You know, I, I put this in our Slack, but I really don't think it's a coincidence or that it's ironic that the team shooting percentages, free throws percentages, and defense have all really risen and gotten better as Russ has gotten more confident and his numbers have also gotten better. Russ is the leader of this team. And so when he comes out playing like he does, the team follows. And I think we've seen that these last three games. And I, I have to admit it here at the end. Russell Westbrook made me eat my crow. If you guys follow me on Twitter, at Taylor underscore P15, 
you guys saw it. Gosh, I can't even remember. It was sometime last week during the losing streak. I'm pretty sure it was after the Lakers game. But he had, towards down the stretch of one of those games, he was just terrible. He was missing shots at the rim. Um, and I was honestly, I mean, after watching him this entire season and then seeing that game, I was so concerned about his knees and his overall health. And while he still has ridiculous athleticism and was blowing by defenders, he just wasn't finishing at the rim. I didn't feel like he was jumping like he used to to get up to the rim or making those monster dunks. And so I kind of went off on Twitter about that, not just bashing Russ because I'll always love Russ and will always be Russ's number one fan. However, I just I was more concerned. And Russ put all those concerns to rest tonight, <laughs> to say the very least. Um, as I said on Twitter, he made me eat my crow, and I've never been more happy to eat one. Um, two monster vintage vintage rust dunks to close the game. You know, one was a monster one-handed throwback dunk. I took a really bad video from my TV screen because I just wanted to hurry and get it out there because it was so incredible. I was jumping up and down, I think, and, and screaming louder, I think even louder than when PG hit that buzzer beater against the Sixers. I missed those so, so much, and it was so awesome to see. We, we all were just absolutely pumped. And then he got another dunk right after that on a fast break. I think PG kicked it out too, and Rush cocked it back with two hands and just and smashed it basically to, to cap off the win. So there's a lot to be excited about with Russ. Even before those dunks, I felt like he was blowing by defenders. And like I said, he was attacking the rim. He's just more confident. He has more. He, I think he has confidence again in his athletic ability and also in his health. You know, having those those knee surgeries and then having that ridiculous ankle sprain. I mean, I I could see where he kind of had a almost like a Markel Fultz mental block, right? You don't want to jump too high because you're afraid that you might accidentally fall on that ankle again or twist an ankle again or snap an ankle. You know, it's it's scary. And so I, I think that probably was more of it. It's probably more mental after seeing him tonight. I hope this continues. And Russell, I am sorry, and I love you. <laughs> so, oh, and one more thing about Russell. He was interviewed at the end of the game tonight. Um, Evan Turner rocked the baby on him early on in the game, like trying to do it back to Russell or whatever after he scored on Russ. Russell's response when he was asked about it was, uh, Evan can, quote, Evan, can rock it all the way back to Portland. <laughs> so just petty Russ was out. Like I said, his his confidence is getting back to where it usually is, and we love it. And this is the best Russ, and this team is the best when Russ is playing this way. So one final thought before I get to your guys' Twitter questions. Thunder have played great ever since Nerland's returned. Like Kamiar mentioned in our Slack tonight, you know, he returned, and then we went in on that three-game win streak. Now, I'm not saying this whole three-game win streak is because of Nerland's. Obviously, his, his presence is huge for us. But I think more than anything, it's just getting back to a more normal rotations and and lineups. You know, I, I think that's that's a really big thing that we kind of don't really realize when players are out like that. So that's why it's also exciting to see Alex hopefully returning on Thursday, if not returning very soon, because this team can kind of get back to normal rotations and lineups. And it obviously, it just has depth. Um, you know, you don't have to stagger Russ and PG. You can give them a little more rest than you did tonight against some less, some lesser teams, for lack of a better term, um, than, than Portland and some of these top teams in the West. You know, like a, a Pelicans team without AD and with Alex back, you should be able to set Russ and PG together just a little bit. I don't want them to do it much, but I can get them a little more rest so that when you're playing teams like Denver and Golden State and fill in the blank, uh, you can stagger them and play them a little more like he was able to tonight. So I'm right kind of at the perfect time for a game recap, but you guys gave me some really, really good thunder, or, uh, yeah, Twitter questions and Thunder questions that I do want to get to, so I'm going to try and fly through them, but I apologize if this post-game pod is a little longer than usual, but like I said, you guys gave me some really good questions, and I'm really appreciative of that. I'm going to go ahead and try to answer them for you guys. So Extreme Thunder fans asked me, are we finally seeing the old Russ back, which I 
I kind of touched on. I'm not going to go into too much detail in, but I think we are starting to, to an extent. We're seeing his confidence rise. And in return, we're seeing more and more of the old Russ, and I only hope that continues. Is the Thunder still going to target a player like Ellington who could fit under Melo's trade money? Now, this is a really good question, and this is something that we've talked a lot about in our Slack and we'll probably talk about in our group pod. But kind of in short, we really don't expect, and we are hearing that many people don't expect the Thunder to use that uh, that trade exception from the Melo trade until this offseason. I would really expect them to maybe just see what they can get at the trade deadline, and they aren't going to force anything. They aren't going to give up Diallo or Ferguson or anything too crazy, unless obviously the perfect player pops up, which I'm really not sure it will. I think it's going to be a pretty quiet trade trade deadline, especially for the Thunder. I think they will pick up another veteran at the buyout, regardless of who that is, just another piece to see how far they can go. They're going to trust in this core. They're going to trust that they can play like they did tonight at a high level against these playoff teams in the playoffs, obviously. And then, you know, this is just year one of this core of Russ, PG, Jeremy, Steven. Uh, They're locked in long-term. And so it's not worth trading the future of Ferguson and Diallo, who also are becoming critical pieces of this core, just for, you know, a Courtney Lee, for example. So I kind of expect that moving forward for this season, and then I think they'll look to get a, another key piece of the core this offseason with that that uh, trade money, like you mentioned. So Mbop, does Russ have his bounce back? <laughs> yes, I think so, and I hope so. And like I said, we'll, we'll hopefully continue to see it. Cade Meters, at Cade Meters 1, who hit the rookie wall harder? Sabonis, Ferguson, or Diallo? This is such a good question. I think I would kind of argue that maybe uh, Sabonis on the Thunder, the way they were wanting him to fit, maybe wasn't the most perfect fit. Like like we saw with Indiana, he's really thrived in that backup center role compared to like the power forward, stretch forward that we kind of had him playing. So you can kind of contribute his wall to that. I think Ferguson and Diallo both hit pretty hard roles, or walls, excuse me, not roles. Um, but I would say Diallo's has been pretty bad. It's been pretty bad this year. However, I'm not giving up on him. I still love my homie, and uh, I think he's going to be a really, really good player in the future, hopefully with us. L Taker at L Taker 4 asked me, is staggering Russ and PG's minutes the key to unlocking this team's potential and pre- preventing the large starters to large starters to bench play drop off? It was sampled tonight and looked great. I like it. So I think basically what you're saying is uh, what's my opinion on the staggering moving forward and is that what's the best for this team? And yes, I, I absolutely think so, particularly come playoffs. I think we're going to see something similar because like we saw tonight against elite teams, this is really working. Now, hopefully teams don't like lock down or start scouting that and you know we have to adjust that come playoff time hopefully that's something we play from or we save for more elite teams this season but yes i think that's that's something really especially when russ and pj are both playing at this level and i just hope that continues so j cub at vulgar night 297 asked me both went this is another really good question both wins against portland are okc's best wins of the season agree or disagree man i honestly they're both obvious absolutely up there I would say they're both top five, and you're right. They could be two of the best. I think you have, like, honestly, that Sixers win this past Saturday is kind of what set all this in motion right here, this three-game win streak, which has been huge for us. Um, that that PG buzzer beater, I mean, essentially saved the morale of this team. So I would put that one up there. There, Oh, that Spurs game, that Spurs win was pretty big. Um, there was a couple others that I'm forgetting about without going too far back, but these two are absolutely up there. And like you said, there's a huge argument that these could be the two most important. 
Seven cents for Mello at Rom Huff. That's pretty funny. Seven cents for Mello. <laughs> T Ferg cutting back door, making shots, even creating his own shots, locking up mostly on defense. He, is the, he the reason this offense has jumped to another level? Yes, I really do think so. Obviously, Russ and PG playing like they are helps, but honestly, I think guys like Ferg and Jeremy Grant and you know Nader last week and Pat tonight or not last week last game Pat tonight opening the floor like they are are the reason that Russ and PG are able to play at this level and continue to thrive uh, and Tferg's the biggest part of that I think he's he's improved the most on this team maybe even more than Jeremy and he's been so fun to watch as you guys know I've kind of harped on him a lot maybe a little too much but I have one last question I want to get to this is actually before the game David at Dave Hoops uh, tweeted us and said, hey guys, a uh, Thunder fan in Spain who listens to the post-game podcast, great job and I hope you can answer on air which team is the worst, excluding Golden State Warriors, in a future playoff round for the Thunder. Thanks and Thunder up. First of all, David, we really appreciate you, especially from Spain, listening in. That's really cool and makes us feel really good about what we're doing and that's awesome that you tweeted at us. Really appreciate that. So I, we kind of talked a little bit about this in the Slack. I think we all agree the two right now, I think that scares the most, are probably Houston and Portland. Houston, because when they're fully healthy, uh, you know, when it comes to playoff times, lineups get shorter, so the depth doesn't matter quite as much. And when you have Harden playing at this level and Capella playing really well, like he did against us on Christmas, for example, and, you know, like Gordon, and if CP3 can stay healthy, they really are a dangerous team and will continue to be. However, there's a lot of maybes with that team, particularly can Harden sustain this play? Probably not. Um, into the postseason without help? Can CP3 stay healthy? Um, can the rest of their team stay healthy? Can some of these role players step up? There's so many questions. So, you know, that's why Portland, in Kamiar's eyes, was the main one because we play so bad against them, typically uh, at in Portland. And then, as we saw tonight, you know, every game, regardless of whether it's there or here, is almost always a dogfight. So, you know, that would be a rough, you know, potentially seven-game series. And so that's not a team that we would want to see early on. However, if they, we stay like three and four with them and somehow we did see them later on in the playoffs, I'm confident that we could beat them in the series. But it would be it would be a grind and it would take a, a lot out of us. And that worries me if we were to beat them, move on to another round, how much energy we would have left, et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, guys, that's all I got tonight. Like I said, I went a little, little long because I wanted to get to your guys' Twitter questions. We really appreciate you guys following along, interacting with us. Thunder play Pelicans at home on Thursday. Then they'll play the Bucks at home on Sunday. So they go on that three-game road trip on the, in the Eastern Conference. So continue to follow along. Stay tuned for Thursday. We'll have a post-game podcast for you guys. And visit us on our website. And as always, Thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.